0: back bitches bros and non-binary hoes to anime on the sea to sky not necessarily thinking that using escape the infinity dub reference would probably be the best way to start a episode focused on valentine's day and romance and with love being in the air and lining everything up to see what kind of romance flights the fancy of many anime fans but I legitimately had no idea how to start an episode about romance in general, so at least through the rest of it, this is going to be my romance recommendations episode, leading into at least what should be coming out on the day that this is announced for Valentine's Day, and outside of me going to (laughs) the Kage Ultra Romantic OVA special that's going to be lining up in theaters, which should be a really fun time. I'm honestly curious to see how the rest of the day is going to go outside of it, but If you're looking for more pieces of romance, haven't been able to find the opportunity to catch Kaguya in theaters, or just looking for something to be a little more heartwarming and warm you up on this day, then at least for the rest of it, I'll be able to go through and give you a couple recommendations to move you forward. But before I end up going through that, there have been quite a few video games that have been popping up ever since Nintendo released their most recent Direct over the past week so I guess I might as well go through and line that up considering that there's not really a lot that I'm interested in now that the only two major games that I've been looking forward to at least coming out this year have are been popping up I'm going to have the opportunity to give Pokemon Violet a try bugs and all and then I was able to go through and have the opportunity to grab the new Fire Emblem Gage off the store and even though during the direct there are Already putting out their second expansion pass, that's not necessarily something that is flying my fancy and not really something I'm going to be too interested in buying. I mean, maybe if I finally end up completing the game, which I know is going to take me quite a couple of dozens of hours, there's not really going to be any need for me to go through and jump into the new content, even though the majority of it is going to be lined up for the people who are jumping into this game off of heroes, considering the amount of playable characters and sides that you can actually go through on your journey. But outside of that, we ended up getting announcements for Pikmin 4 on July 21st launch. We ended up getting a release date for Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is also going to be popping up on May 12th. The only real thing that kind of interested me, which really got my eyes lighting up, is that the fact that they're leaning more into the online Nintendo eShop bringing in games from the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, and the Game Boy Advance. And that was never essentially on the top of my mind. But what really jumped at me is considering that's, wait a second, there is no other way for people to enjoy the Game Boy Advance era of the Fire Emblem games that ended up getting ported out to Europe and the West. And I was really curious to see, it's like, okay, so they're going to be bringing Game Boy Advance titles to it. Is that going to be the case? It's not going to be it for the first wave that they're introducing inside of the first couple of weeks, but the second wave of games that they bring out to the Game Boy Advance is going to include Fire Emblem 7. And so now, finally, with all the people jumping in into play engage and everybody who's curious to actually have the opportunity to go and try and play the old Fire Emblem games from the Game Boy, legally without using an emulator, because there wasn't necessarily anything else that you could do besides use a hard copy. But now the fact that they are going to be putting old GBA Fire Emblem games onto the Nintendo Online eShop and have the opportunity to get them to play it on their Switch on the go, I'm really curious to see what people's first reactions are going to be like considering that it is easily one of the easiest jump on points to get into the franchise as a whole if you just don't necessarily know where to go, either the classic games on the SNES or leading into the Game Boy Advance games or the Tellius series on the GameCube and the Wii, but same deal. There's no legal way to play those games. And now the fact that this is actually pointing us in the direction that we're going to have the opportunity for all of those sections of games to finally have a digital official release coming out to the West, it's going to bring in a whole new piece of the fan base that essentially got in through the new modern Fire Emblem games, but haven't had the means or the opportunity to go and legally play these games. So I'm really excited to see how that's going to be lining up. The Nintendo release, they're also pointing out that Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft are not going to be having any exhibits for the next E3 conference for 2023, which is just, everybody is now realizing it's just, Nintendo was the first to do it where they're not really interested in debuting the majority of their stuff either through video game awards or large conferences, considering that they're just going to all do that on their own because they get more than enough support and responses out of the games that they end up showing on their direct. And considering that... E3 was canceled in 2022, and they also ended up only doing, like, a half-and-half hybrid event. Oh, no, wait, that's the Crunchyroll Expo. Sorry, never mind. They revealed that E3 would return in 2023 with a reinvigorated showcase right into Los Angeles. The problem is that they're going to have to redistribute the resources outside of the main three companies that are leading the majority of the project in the industry, so I really don't know how that's going to work. But the one that I was kind of mixing it up with is that Crunchyroll Expo... Is They're saying they're putting their main event in the U.S. on pause for now to grow their roster of Exos and festivals around the world. Which is really not a good sign, because they didn't do 2020, they cancelled their physical event in 2021 in order to have a more digital con, and then they only did a hybrid event back in 2022, where it was kind of just a virtual and in-person event that they were just kind of throwing around, since they didn't necessarily know how safe the event was going to be to line up for the rest of the new waves that were popping in. But I just don't really, I don't know, I don't really care. It's just that, considering how large both Crunchyroll Expo and Anime Expo are, it's just never been... At the top of my priority, now that I've been basically going to cons for 10 years now, it's never really been something that's like, oh man, I need to prioritize this. I need to go down and have the experience to be fucking sardined in between tens of thousands of people inside of this small convention center. It's just, I don't know. It's just never been something that's really flighted my fancy. So I don't necessarily know what they're going to be doing, but considering I didn't necessarily care too much about the expo as a whole, that's just something that's going to be lining up for a bit of news running down in the future. Outside of that, for a tour and an event that is actually going to be going on that I would be interested in, if it was actually closer, is that there aren't a lot of J-Rock bands that I end up listening to outside of the majority of the playlist that they line up for a lot of OPs and EDs, but Radwimps, for sure, considering their collaborations with Makoto Shinkai and Studio Comics Wave, they're going to be doing a North American tour planning up to hit this April. And so the dates that they've got going on between all of North America, they've got San Jose on April 16th, they got LA in April 18th, Mexico City on the 22nd, Chicago on the 24th, they're going up to Toronto on the 26th, and they're going to finish it all off in New York City on the 29th. So, if anybody's interested to go through and have the opportunity to see these guys live and have the majority of their set list probably sectioned off into the majority of the Shinkai films that they were going to, but to be fair, if I could just watch a live AMV being performed by Radwimps, that would honestly be more than enough of a reason to get me to go and pay for the show, but unfortunately, I am not close enough for any of those to be made a reality, so hopefully somebody else can take that news and run with it. Considering how badly Netflix has been ramping out their new segregated and just limited release on their subscription plans where they're going to be halting password sharing they're going to be holding it down to an ip and so you can only use it with one person in one place at one time they are fucking morons for sure it hasn't hit the states yet they've hit peru they've hit new zealand they've hit australia they've hit canada but the biggest change that they're going to hit is definitely when it finally gets rolled out in the states. And that is going to be a major fucking mistake for the rest of that, considering that not only have they dialed back on their animated catalog, but the fact that they're just going to be losing tens of million. not, uh, it's not guaranteed, but it's just kind of like, why would anybody jump in and do that now, unless they're incredibly desperate and it's their only streaming service that they use, where it's just like, unfortunately, now the streaming business is mostly just cable at this point, where you've got more than a half a dozen different services that you have to alternate and turn on and turn off again just to get all the shows that you watch or you can just do what the majority of us do and sail the high seas which is probably something that a lot more people are going to either learn or prioritize on the majority of the content they consume but the only good thing that has popped up over the next over the last week in terms of news is that netflix now has monster on its catalog and so that is easily one of the best if not the best thriller show of all time, like, if it, it's anime, but considering who it's by, which is Naoki Urasawa, who is just a phenomenal mangaka, I still need to finish 20th Century Boy since I'm only three volumes in or so, but Monster is a phenomenal anime and a phenomenal drama regardless of what you go through and think about in terms of the content, but I would definitely give this a recommendation for anybody who's looking for a long-running, just very human, very horrifying but a terrific thriller and a drama to bring them into a phenomenal story another anime project that recently ended up getting news which i'm not necessarily surprised by but considering the turnaround that they were able to go through to bring out the success that this show ended up going licorice recoil is going to be getting a second season and it is already in production so i still haven't watched it it's definitely on my backlog considering how much people enjoyed it The ending of the first season apparently was a little lackluster because there was just so much more that you could engage with in this world and there were so many questions that were left unanswered, but considering that now it's going to have the opportunity to get a second season and be able to expand on the world a lot more, I'm definitely curious to see how that's going to pop up and by the time the second season is rolled around, I will have definitely gotten to catching up to line up for the rest of this whenever it's going to be coming out. I would assume next year, if anything, but who knows, time will tell. And now for two of the biggest sequels that are going to be coming out over the next year and a bit. Well, not year and a bit. That's going to be coming out by the end of the year. Attack on Titan Final Season Part 3 First Half Hour-Long Special. God, just trying to fit so much of that shit into one sentence is absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, the first episode of this final arc is going to be an hour-long special. And it is going to debut on March 3rd worldwide. It will be airing on the NHK block down in japan on february 25th but march 3rd is going to be the official day that it's going to be released and everybody worldwide is going to have the opportunity to finally take a piece of the final 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 part of the final season i mean fuck who knows but it's gotta end at some point right now something that kind of surprised me initially because i've never seen this done to the degree, but considering the success of what Demon Slayer has over the past 18 months, how they're meaning to capitalize on that is definitely a way considering how many people are jumping back into theaters, but what they're going to be doing with Demon Slayer's third season, uh, which is the Swordsmith Village arc, they're actually going to be doing a theatrical debut of the first hour-long episode. So they ended up doing screenings for this already, and they debuted that in Japan back on February 3rd, and so what they're going to do is that for a North American debut, they're going to be premiering it at the Orpheum Theater in LA on February 18th with a lot of the staff, with the Japanese voice actors and actresses, and having that opportunity for the red carpet rollout of the third season, and then in North American theaters, it's going to drop on March 3rd. And I was really confused initially, considering that it was an hour and 50 minute long program, for one episode and I'm just thinking how exactly are they going to do that well they're going to do a 4K remaster of the 10th and 11th episodes of the Entertainment District Art which to be fair was the better if not the best episodes of that entire season and so the fact that I'm going to be able to rewatch those on a theater setup is going to be insane so they're going to start the screening with those two episodes and then they're probably going to introduce some middle of the ground programming either with interviews or Anything of the like of the people and the staff over at Studio Ufotable, I'm really curious to see how they're going to be lining that up. And then they're going to finish it off with a 50-minute long, I believe, first episode for the Swordsmith Village arc. And I'm really curious to see how that's going to be translated. But, I don't know. Doing theatrical premieres of anime episodes, especially for incredibly large shows like this... Definitely seems like it could be running as a really good idea, not as a really good setup for the anime community to coalesce and just really get interested to lead off of the hype of large series that are beginning new seasons, but even just other anime originals or adaptations and sequels of the like in general. I'm really curious to see how this idea is going to be translated and moved forward over the next couple of months and over the next couple of seasons, because to be fair it really does seem like a good idea to increase hype and also make sales on distribution as well, so only time will tell. Uh, So with all the boring news out of the way, I guess we can get with the ultra-romantic part about this episode, considering that we're going to be leading in through on the day that this comes out with the Kaguya Loves War OVA, the Christmas OVA. I'm really curious to see how that's going to go in a theater full of weebs, but I don't know, that's going to be lined up. I do have quite a few... Uh, romance recommendations we've got movies we've got OBAs we've got uh, television series just whichever is going to flight your fancy depending on what vibe you're looking for what kind of romance you're looking for and how essentially long you want to go through it to see how the story progresses but I can definitely guarantee the quality of every single one of these recommendations which really does seem a little pedantic and like overhyped but I thoroughly enjoyed every single one of these shows and so if you're looking for something specific Hopefully, I'll be able to answer that question by the end of this episode, but uh, yeah, I really hope that somebody is going to be able to find something they like inside these recommendations and go through and give at least one of them a watch. So, like I said before about Radwimps, I think I'll just go through a couple of my favorites uh, through Makoto Shinkai and Studio Comics Wave and the works that they've been able to put out over the past 15 years in terms of the two short ones. One that is a lot more romance-focused. I can definitely guarantee the beauty of 5 centimeters per second. It's a little bit shaky in the middle part, but it is probably one of the best middle school short stories about romance that I have ever seen encapsulated in the first third of this film. And also how that romance and that young love translates as you get older, and uh, depending on distance, depending on time, depending on how the majority of it ends... Whether it is amicable or there are still some lingering feelings, all of that is explored and to great detail inside of Five Centimeters, so I would really recommend that. (laughs) The interesting, dirty, dancing age gap that I would recommend inside of this catalog, I would definitely go for Garden of Words. It is gorgeous, if not anything else. It is a phenomenally put together film, especially with the visual especially with the visuals and the ambiance and the vibe, and you understand how this relationship isn't necessarily meant to last, but how it improves everybody involved and makes them better and more mature people, how they're able to translate and make their each other's happiness their own. It is just, I don't know, in terms of this movie in particular, the three-minute slideshow and of the relationship blooming through the rain and the ambiance from outside is easily, like, one of my favorite Makoto Shinkai scenes in his entire catalog. Just seeing how natural and happy these two are and wishing them the best is just phenomenal, like, setup and development and payoff and storytelling, but... I would definitely recommend giving it a watch. It's both this and 5 centimeters are about 45 minutes long each, so it's incredibly easily bite-sized and compatible to get the entire story done and there and all through the rest of it. I am definitely biased though towards your name because it is arguably my favorite romance and if not anime film of all time considering the the majority of the setup and the payoff and how quickly the pace is and how because you've seen these tropes before you've seen the developments you've seen the romance you've seen the archetypes of the characters and you've seen the a lot of this stuff lead into tropey romances before but the execution of these is definitely the secret sauce that lets this movie thrive and personally for me the score and the songs that Rad Wimps injects into the soundtrack of this movie is just what makes me really invested because as a dude who absolutely loves AMVs, the fact that a good chunk of this movie is basically a romantic-style AMV but taken up to the level of a movie production is just a phenomenal thing that always gets me invested and always gets me rolling whenever I'm getting into any kind of uh, show or series or movie in general. So it is easily... My favorite romance film of all time, considering that it is close to the top for me in any kind of media, so I'm still going to give that a recommendation, and hopefully anyone can share the same level of excitement I had over this film as well. So, moving outside of Okoto Shinkai's works, I guess I would be remiss not to involve or just mention Clanad and Afterstory as a whole. The problem I have with Clanad is just the opening 26 episodes are just very hit and miss. And so the comedy, switching between girls, and not seeing a lot of development between a good chunk of the characters doesn't necessarily give the best kind of pacing to any of it, especially considering the fact that you're not only going to have to do 26 episodes of this, but also 12 ap- after this for After Story. Or, okay, sorry, never mind, uh, 24 episodes of After Story. So that's, it's definitely, it's it's long, which is the problem, which is one of the problems with it, considering that it's about 50 episodes and half of it is a lot of setup and not necessarily the best payoff but I do admit there even though I was spoiled on Afterstory, I do think it is a really good romance so unfortunately it's quite long but maybe the journey is worth it for some people it's not a hard-boiled recommendation for me that is set up as a priority but I don't know if you're looking for one of the ro- romantic classics then I guess I'll just have to put Clanet on there. Uh, for me, that's something that's a lot more classical in the romance genre. Would definitely be no Dame Cantabile, which is also unfortunately long. It might it's somewhere between 50 and 60 episodes, uh, focusing on two college students. One of which is a genius prodigy piano player, where she's an absolute mess that needs somebody to help her reorganize a bit of herself inside of her life, and the other is a uh, pompous rich boy, but he is learning how to become a conductor for an orchestra paths that they tread along are similar enough to each other that they're able to go through and connect and at least relate to the majority of the struggles that either of them are going through and so it does do a really good job leading on with the romance it is very messy like all average romances are there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of will they won't they and a lot of back and forth between how the majority of the romance blossoms and grows And it has been a while since I've gone back to watch this, considering I think I did uh, finally watch this, like, way back in 2014 or so. So it's a real far back in a stretch, but considering that whenever I jump up and think about romance animes that I would go to recommend regardless of that the pieces and the moments that happen inside this anime always tend to stick with me so if that's definitely a sign of longevity to the point where it's easily something that i can recommend depending on the time that you want to go through same deal they're both uh, decently long for the rest of that i don't know if you're looking for a music oriented romance anime this is basically the one that i'm going to have to top at the list and see where it takes you Now, leading into more of the shoujo romance, the one that is so unequivocally shoujo that it just essentially oozes the femininity and the fantasies and the desires of that kind of genre and the tropes that it entails, Um, the two that I would definitely recommend inside of this case, the first one would be uh, Snow White with the Red Hair, uh, Shirayuki Hime, considering that it's basically a medieval romance where it is the prince of a neighboring country who rescues this botanist inside of medieval times who essentially goes through and grows through medicinal and healing purposes for the majority of the times that she has been a practitioner of that. The best part about this romance is that you see both of these characters go through unique struggles on their own, but because they are connected to each other, it enhances and makes them grow as people in ways that they wouldn't have been able to do alone. Because even though, even if these two would have never met each other, you know that Shirayuki would have ended up becoming a well-known herbalist and medicine and a practitioner, and she would have been able to help as many people as she could, and Zen would have easily been able to... Zen, Ren, I'm blanking on the name, it's been a long while. Regardless, he would have been a good prince a good royal retainer to the crown and the kingdom that he serves, but considering how much they improve and grow as people together is more than enough of something that you look for in any kind of romance leading into the rest of it. So there is a bit of tropiness to a handful of the pieces. There is a really good side couple, though, leading into the rest of it, and the manga does go on, and it's not complete, but with the 26 episodes that the anime does give you in return... It does more than enough to line up and round off the story that it ended up wanting to tell. So, it is a much uh, shorter rendition through the rest of it, but considering how well it utilizes its characters and how well they grow, I would definitely give Shiryu Hime a recommendation on that bat for its romance alone. Now, for the ultimate shoujo romance, which unfortunately is also going to be a long one and a recommendation, because it just finally ended in terms of the most recent adaptation, is the new Fruits Basket anime. And this one definitely, it, it was kind of waxing and waning and up and down and up and down uh, through a good chunk of its episodes. I still do think the emotional core, especially with how the majority of the characters line up and grow, as well as help each other through the most trial and tribute, through the most trialing and turbulent times of their lives, trying to figure out and help each other through an eternal curse that interestingly enough, turns the main cast into Animals of the Zodiac whenever they touch a member of the opposite sex, which is a really interesting premise and setup through the majority of it, and basically the biggest complaint that I can give about the show is that the main character, Toru, is that she is the epitome of endless optimism, uh, bubbliness, as well as overwhelming positivity to give nothing but love and respect and care and tenderness regardless of the people that she comes around in her life. And so she's the most static out of any of the characters even though she is the main character of the story, but it's definitely the growth and the progression between the characters of the entire Soma family that carries the majority of the emotional weight of the story. They it is phenomenal how many different Uh, varying pieces of generational trauma of love and loss and pain and regret that they're able to weave into this story and still make it hopeful and positive and gives you something to look forward to in the future especially with the budding romance of a lot of the characters involved in the story it had its strongest moments in the middle of its story but it was still able to land well enough on its feet to give it that kind of title and modicum as one of the best pieces and the best written catalogs of shoujo romance in general so it's it's definitely interesting especially when it was written and how the original one by studio dean i think ended considering that that was an anime original and it was only 25 episodes so still don't think i would recommend that even though the path that it trailed to get people into this story as a whole is definitely not something that should be undervalued but the 60 episode remake that we've been able to go through and be reintroduced and involved inside of the stories of all of these broken people and finding happiness in their own right is definitely something that I would recommend and definitely like put as one of the best romances that I've seen now leading into the middle of the pack we've got uh, some uh, gay romances as well to line up to it so in terms of a male gay romance basically the best recommendation that I can go through in that one is Dokusei considering uh, that it is a really good, short, succinct uh, film about the romance of these two high school boys and how they essentially go through and deal with the budding feelings and trying to figure out what they're able to do in the middle of a society that shuns them. But how natural the romance feels and progresses throughout these the story, it does have a little bit of Shoujo or Jose, like, tropiness to it in the middle to try and separate them and put a little bit of strain on the relationship which is nice because you need to see how the relationship acts under pressure but it was a little annoying in the middle but regardless it still gets a really good recommendation for me considering how short and succinct it is and how well it is able to sell the romance of these two boys (laughs) turned to men leading into the rest of it and what they were able to accomplish in the movie format that they were given, so I would definitely give this a recommendation. Uh, for a bit of lesbian romance, I would say in the same vein of the length, Kausai-san and the Morning Glories is a really nice, charming, and just overwhelmingly positive take on two girls and their budding relationship inside of high school and outside of it once they graduate, which is definitely something that you don't get a lot of, regardless of any romance, is that, okay, they kissed, they made up, they put themselves in a relationship, and now the story ends. Thankfully, mm, okay, in the OVAs that we get, they don't go... Well, actually, no. In the OVAs, they jumped right to the point where they're already in a romantic relationship. They've already gone through um, at least a volume of content inside of the manga story where it's like, okay, so these are the points in their lives that they uh, met, they connected, they were able to figure out what they wanted out of each other and so they were able to meld themselves into a really healthy and functioning relationship and incredibly cute and charming too considering just the enthusiasm that both of them have some sometimes they're reserved sometimes they're embarrassed and but regardless they both want to see each other and they both want to spend as much time as humanly possible to develop themselves not only through the goals that they have lined up which is also phenomenal since they both have a goal outside of just being in a relationship and being in love with each other which is definitely the hallmark of some of the best relationships. Now. I would still think it does more than enough inside of the time that it is allotted, but thankfully, the manga is still ongoing, and they're still in a relationship, and they're still finding new ways to develop not only the relationship itself, but to each other as people, and I'm really enjoying the bits and pieces that I get every month or two whenever there's a new chapter out, so I really do enjoy the sense of community between these two and how well they're able to make the relationship work, regardless of what trials and obstacles that stand in their way. Um, I would be remiss to not mention any of the Ikuhara pieces, definitely for sure. Revolutionary Girl Utna, I would say, is half action, half romance, which is a very, it's a unique one considering how, at odds, the majority of those two come into contact with each other, but I really do think that Utna and Anthe have one of the most interesting relationships out of the majority of the couples that are on this list, especially with the fantastical set of obstacles that is put in their way to become for one to become the rose bride and for one to become the prince that ends up saving her from her terrible fate as a couple and a romance i can't necessarily recommend it since it's the world building and the drama and the action is something that i'm a lot more interested in but they do make a really good couple and you always want to root for them regardless of what stands in their way and then on the other side of the spectrum even though i haven't watched Uh, The one thing that I haven't necessarily watched in terms of Ikuhara's old work is that there is so much of that in uh, Sailor Moon, or at least Sailor Moon S or R, I can't remember which season it is that Ikuhara directed most of, but that apparently has gotten huge recommendations for anybody inside of the LGBT crowd for anything revolving around romance and the general relationships that they have in line of that. Uh, the only other Ikuhara one that I can recommend uh, inside of that work is Yuri Kumar Rashi, <laughs> aptly titled Lesbian Bear Storm. So, it it also does a good job. It's It's been quite a long time since this aired back in, what, 2014, 2015? And so it's been a while since I've gone back to it, but I would, would be remiss not to go back and at least give it just a little bit of a note and tell people exist to kind of see, because Ikahara always is crazy whenever it comes to any of the relationships and any of the stories that he writes, but I remember do liking this show quite a bit regardless of uh, the really weird turns that Ikahara decides to put in any of his stories. And the last uh, lesbian romance that I want to involve is Bloom to You. And Bloom to You is the same deal as Kase-san, where the 12-episode anime that introduced me to this did a hell of a job considering that I really enjoyed the chemistry between those two, <laughs> the real top and bottom energy, but then also how their relationship develops and what they're able to do regarding the people around them, because it's very much very much how, uh, like what Dokusei does, there are quite a few lesbian characters inside of this show to definitely help normalize it, because that is definitely one of the best and ultimate goals that you can give to any anything relating around lgbt it's just this is normal if you can engage this and have it be just a normal part of life that is easily one of the best end games that you can imagine for anybody inside of the crowd but at least for and to you you get a little bit of progression inside the relationship they do have the opportunity to go on dates and kind of feel around how everybody revolving around their club feels about the entire scenario, but what it's able to do afterwards inside of the manga, now that the manga is complete, I would definitely not... I don't know when Bloom To You, or even if Bloom To You, is going to be getting a second season to go out and finish the story, but I do recommend trying the anime out and seeing how you feel, and if you really want to see where the story goes and how it ends... It is definitely a positive resolution and it is a really good time for anybody who's looking for that kind of romance. Now, I have easily recommended the show several times, mostly in the comedy department, but I do think that ultimately the best rom-com, like, in anime, flat out, period, is uh, Kaguya Love is War. I really did already enjoy what Akka was able to do inside of the manga format and still make it comedic and still make it well-developed and still bring a lot of life into the characters and have them bounce off in the most creative and chaotic ways, but not only is it a story that is well-crafted by a genius, uh, subversive rom-com mangaka, but then the fact that it's able to go into an anime and be adapted by easily one of the best dramatic directors inside of the, the industry, considering how they jumped immediately off of Rakugo, which I do think is like the best drama show in anime, period. But the fact that he jumped from there, and it's like, oh yeah, we're just going to have you adapt this uh, uh, rom-com into an anime with A1 Pictures. And I'm like, okay, on paper this sounds good, but there's no way that they can do it. But the fact that Kaguya Love is War, the animated adaptation, elevates the already phenomenal source material that Akka has been able to give in manga form, and bring in new jokes, new pacing, new timing, new directing, like, increase and amplify all of the best parts of the manga to a degree that instantly makes it either recognizable and memorable and well above any of its peers. It is hilarious. It is a great generational romance that a lot of people are going to be looking back fondly on those that not only got them into the genre, but those who were well-versed enough in romance could find so many more of the references that it ends up taking tropes from and using them and executing them to the best degree possible. So in terms of rom-coms go go see Kaguya-sama Love is War and if you if you also have the opportunity to watch it on either the 14th the 18th or the 19th of February go and have the opportunity to watch the OVA in theaters because I even though it would be an interesting scenario to watch it with a bunch of weebs it is still going to be gut-bustingly hilarious and charming at the same time to see how everybody reacts to the developments leading into the majority of the characters now that I want to say something but I'm not going to spoil it even though the ending is inevitable. I still think everybody should go and give this a watch, especially with how well they were able to adapt the third season. You will not be disappointed. Now, Kyoto Animation does a lot of good romances in general. I mean, Clannad and Clannad After Story is already one that popped into it, but I still think that my favorite show of theirs, not the best, but easily my favorite, would go into Tomiko Market and the love story film that ends up acting as a sequel and a concluding piece to this original show. It is, for me, the best slice of life romance that has ever been put to the medium in terms of if Kaguya is the king of comedy, then Tomiko is the king of slice of life and injecting romance into something that is so natural and so fitting that you would just want to walk around the shopping mall that the majority of the cast inhabits. It is just a really nice, soothing, comedic, familial, and just warm show. It is just such a charming piece of the medium that wholeheartedly invites you into its world that brings everybody else to life inside the shopping market. Whatever they sell, however they react, whatever they do to make sure and make you feel that you are loved and not alone, every part of the family that exists inside of the shopping mall is just a phenomenal entry into Kyoto Animation's already ridiculously well-set catalog. I already did it once before, I believe, in a previous episode talking about Tomiko Mark and Tomiko Love Story, is just that I do believe that it does have the best overall confession scene in anime, period. It They weave bits and pieces of romance inside of Tamako market well like melding them around the characters to make it seem natural and well fitting and then finally pulling out the stops to bring the conclusion and the climax of the romance between Tamako and Mochiso but i'm <laughs> like i'm sounding like a broken record considering how i talked at length about this show last year but still just what they're able to do and how well they're able to show how deeply connected these two are on a fundamental level especially with how long they've known each other since childhood it's just easily they are one of the best couples that i've seen in romance period and you should definitely have the opportunity to go through and get yourself lost and enveloped inside of the tamayama shopping market because it is something that is always going to be welcoming you with open arms and it will never disappoint now the final recommendation that i've got which is probably my favorite romance overall. It does kind of fall underneath the shoujo romance section, but it's something that is so wholly different that it is just the best put-together romance period, I believe. And that is uh, Kare Kano or His and Her Circumstances. And that is Kare Kano or His and Her Circumstances. It is just, from what I recall, it's another one of those shows that Still, it's been quite a number of years since I've gone back to revisit, but it is always the one, even above Kaguya, that jumps out out at me and it's like, what do you think is the best and most well-constructed romance inside of anime? It's always the first thing that pops up, period. Um, How they're able to go through and use the tropes at their disposal but actually use them in a way that relates them to real people and bring them into a legitimate real drama with the trials and the conflicts and the tribulations that both of the characters feel not only that puts pressure on them by society, but then also how well a good family operates and what a trauma from a terrible family can do, regardless of how much love either side gives and what... The trauma is able to accomplish and lock you out of so many other things in life that you wouldn't be able to enjoy otherwise but what needs to happen and who needs to bring you out of that box in order for you to bring yourself back and enjoy the finer parts of life and learn to love again because it's so difficult inside of that even though there are parts and pieces that are a little overwhelming and just shackled in both pieces of each family of the main characters but how that kind of love and that kind of drive is able to better them both as people and how they're able to go through and coalesce and reinvigorate themselves and relearn things about the world that they would have been wouldn't to reinvigorate themselves and learn more about the world in a perspective that they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise if they hadn't met each other it's just nothing short of genius. It's it's a real awkward recommendation because I do think that the whole story, same deal, it's also another re- awkward recommendation where becomes even more complicated where this show was directed, for the most part, by Hideaki Yano. So the dude who is just so well known for his just flawed view on romance and his depression and even though his directorial style is a, so much grander than anybody else in the medium, the fact that it's like he went and did this quote-unquote shoujo romance and he was the one that directed it is already more than enough of a sign that you should at least give the opportunity to go and check that out. If you're still a fan of Hideaki Yano's works, going through Evangelion, going through Nadia The Secret of Blue Water, and you still haven't seen Karikano, it is easily like one of the best recommendations I can give for a romantic show. The problem is that I believe the show is only 26 episodes long, but Hideyaki Ono only directed, I believe, 20 of the 26, because he ended up getting in a spat and an argument with the mangaka itself and ended up pushing him off of the project. And so the last six episodes are from a different subsidiary director, and it doesn't necessarily go through and actually finish the anime itself in a proper way. For me, the reason why I think it's the best romance, it's those first 20 episodes leading into that and how well it is able to enhance the romance and the story as a whole through the directorial style that Anno is able to go and incorporate because I do enjoy the rest of the manga. I did enjoy the rest of the story considering that it is also complete. But if not through Anno, being able to go through and... It be able to evolve and adapt it in the way that it was able to do, this show itself wouldn't have been able to shine as bright as it did. And so it is definitely that kind of asterisk where it's just, oh, it's only this amount of episodes that I say are quote unquote good, and then there's a handful of episodes that don't necessarily adapt like the best part of the manga itself, and then you have to jump into the manga. It's just a whole just mishmash and mess of things for me to basically go through and recommend. But at the very least, what I can do is just say those first 20 episodes, I do believe, are the best that anime has to offer in terms of romance. And I really hope that at the end of the day, if any recommendation that I've said gets through to anybody, that this is the one that I hope the most people go out and decide to check out. So, I hope everybody has a good time. Go watch the Kaguya movie. Go watch Karikano, Kano. And everybody loves somebody. Cheers. Have a good one. Thank you.